You're listening to CircuitCast with your host, Mark Amory. Well, kia ora koutou and welcome to CircuitCast, discussion on the visual arts and moving image in Aotearoa, New Zealand and beyond. And the year is 2018 and we're exploring a new format this year, uh, introducing a new series, Artists in Conversation. My name is Mark Amory and I'll be trying to chug things along with our artists. In some cases these are artists who will know each other very well, at other times they're meeting for the first time. In today's conversation, a central theme might be uh, the subject of what has at least been in the past known as intermedia art and the changes we've seen in this kind of practice over recent decades. For this pod, we're out west in Auckland at Te Urdu Gallery on the occasion of the opening of a survey exhibition and series of performances by the, I would say, legendary and uh, now specially reformed art music ensemble From Scratch, who were formed back in the late, uh, sorry, in the mid-1970s, working with invented instruments, uh, distinctive not only for their popularity outside of the art crowd uh, and their touring globally, but uh, a unique synthesis of performance, music, live sculpture and drawing and movement uh, reflective of uh, founder Phil Dadson's intermedia approach to his art practice. So with me for this artisan discussion conversation I have here at Te Uru, Phil Dadson. Kia ora Phil. Kia ora Mark, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah and on the line from the United States uh, another renowned intermediate artist uh, and uh, senior lecturer at Elam as you once were Phil, Sean Kerr. Kia ora Sean. Uh, kia ora. Sean, what are you doing over in the United States, and where are you? Uh, I'm in Spokane, which is just out of Seattle, and I'm doing a residency here on it's around sort of technology and art sort of based resi- residency, and sort of also spending a bit of time at a, a STEM school, high school there, uh, where they sort of do science and maths and art sort of teaching. Is that a yeah. kind of a residence in a way? Are you working with the students? Uh, that one, you work alongside the students, so you make in the same sort of class. It's an open plan classroom sort of environment. Uh, so we go there once every Tuesday for a day. It's quite good. It's really good. It's sort of project-based learning. So um, they sort of also learn maths and science and, and all that sort of stuff, but they do these sort of creative projects um, sort of like every two or three days per week. Right, okay. Yeah. Oh. So it's self, self-directed learning ah, okay. at, at high school. And the re- the residency here is quite good. It's, have, they just have artists from around the world who are sort of more focused around technology and the arts. Sort of and things. so do all the artists um, go to the school on the Tuesday or do they have different days yeah. there? Yeah. No, no, you will go together. Right, okay. So it's quite fun. Yeah. It's pretty good. And so all your students would be uh, extremely kind of au fait with uh, digital technology these days. Or with yeah, their smartphones are. and, yeah. <laughs> They're smart. Yeah. They're smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are they're quite onto it. And and the big thing at the schools, they, they encourage collaboration. So. Gosh, that's good. And that, that's really cool. So mm. they learn from each other. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a really good model. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an art school model, really, you know, where people sort of work on projects and have critiques and, and things like that. Yeah, so, I mean, the art school model originally was very uh, individualistic, and I think this was kind of one of the 
to me, one of the really important things that Intermedia introduced into the school, you know, at Elam, at Elam for example, was the possibility of people working working together to collaborate on yeah. stuff, you know. It was completely Absolutely. against the grain of what was happening in the rest of the school, and there was a lot of opposition at the time. When, when, when was that time, Phil? That was, um, like, I was teaching in sculpture first uh, up till early 80s, and then established a, like, a video and... Uh, kind of electronic studies paper um, and then out of that was able to break away from sculpture and start intermedia which was kind of viewed pretty much as a breakaway group because I mean not only did it was it encouraging collaborative work between students but it was competing for funding you know within other areas of the school of course sculpture Sean was one of the one of the inaugural or oh, a pretty early student eh, in that area really yeah no, yeah 90s yeah, 90s. Yeah, we'd, I mean, yeah. started in 86, I think, officially, and you came yeah. in in the early 90s, yeah. Yeah. And, that, I mean, that whole collaboration thing that we're trying to sort of encourage at Elam now, and you still come through all the sort of bureaucracy of, oh, how can you mark all the students, you know? That's right. From one project, and it's all this sort of rubbish that you have to get through, but it's a great mm. thing, and the students love it. Yes. They love working together. Yeah. And um, and the outcomes are amazing, and they generate more outcomes because they're all working together. Yes, that's and right. I, and I think that's one of the the best things I've learned from Intermedia is actually mm. the whole idea of working together mm. to create a cool. to create something. Well, I was around at that time, and I do remember some of the events that came out of Intermedia into Digitate, and then there was the Soundwatch Festival. A number of us were involved in an art space. I'm quite interested in how much has shifted in the the arts landscape over that time, and whether you guys have got any thoughts on on those shifts? Yeah, well, I mean, bad. there were quite a few initiatives that were set up predominantly to give students a platform, you know, that outside of the precincts of the you know university too. So there was art on air was another one, you know, was on right. BFM radio yes. and you know interdigitate, uh, which was a term that um, Lisa Rahana came up with actually. Um, I mean that. That happened at AAT Centre on the 36 monitor video wall. Mm. And, uh, you know, events like that just, I don't know, it seemed to catalyse a lot of really interesting work. I mean, students mm. really got behind it and, oh, and produced stuff that, that you know, surprised us all, really. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah, no, it was a great... Yeah, those sort of opportunities don't happen so much now. Um, we used to have Live at Elam as well. Yeah, Live at Elam was another one. It was great. And they, they have a lot of, there's a lot of energy. And I, I guess how it's changed now is that we got rid of all our departments. So we're like one massive big intermediate department. Well, I don't I agree guess. with that, actually. I don't think it well, is. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Phil. But what I'm sort of saying is that. That was the premise we, uh, for it, for the change, yeah. Oh, no, it's just to get rid of, I think, helping students work between sort of areas rather than putting out these barriers if, right. if they're painting and doing photography i want to do some photographic work there's kind of barriers mm. um so breaking down those barriers but um the problem though is that now we don't have an intermediate department and there's a lot of energy in that department to create these sort of events because that was the only way you could get your work seen because it wasn't often shown in, in gallery spaces was it, it was no. more 
uh, shown it at live at Elim or Interdigitate, which was, which was amazing. It was an incredible experience. And, you know, professional development, it was just amazing, you know, for us as students learning how to present work at that scale. Hmm. It was pretty cool. So I, th- I think since we, you know, since, since we don't have departments, it's sort of lessened that sort of focus or that need to sort of, um, well, that sort of focused energy to sort of create sort of great events like by the Elam and mm. so there, was, air. there was a level of invention, eh, that, that kind of yeah. surfaced that was very low tech. I mean, people came, you know, because there was limited access to equipment and certainly to money, students didn't have funds to kind of do, you know, professionally mounted exhibitions as you might expect to see in a, in a, in a gallery now, but amazing what they achieved with low-tech resources, eh, and uh, mm. a bit of an, bit of invention. Yeah, incredible. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so do you think, Sean, that there are artists in a way who miss out a little bit or just don't fit now in a way, or, or it's just, it's just everything shifted so much that they do have different presentation opportunities than they did? Or Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely changed because the technologies, I mean, you can buy a cheap phone that's HD resolution and, mm. you know, go and shoot a video and then present it on a cheap HD screen. I mean, it's quality's there now, so you're seeing more and more sort of uh, work shown in gallery spaces because they can, it's easily quite more affordable yeah. in, on, in online too. Um, so there's more options to show these things, but I just don't think it has the same energy as what we it was like in Interdigitate or because you, I mean, like Phil said, you know, you, you didn't have much money and you had to make the most of these opportunities. They're incredible, you know. It's just who gets to show on 30, was it 36 monitors? Mm, mm. Syn- Synchronised video, you know, it was something that was <laughs> kind of unheard of in those times, really. It's pretty special. I guess something yeah. else that's shifted is the whole gallery ecosystem in terms of where the work was presented. So we can mm. think of Interdigitate at the Artea Centre or stuff on a BFM on a radio station. We can think of From Scratch being released on Flying Nun Records and, and performing in different auditorium, auditoria, not in, in art galleries in, like, like here at mm. Te Uru. Um, there was a strength to that in a way in terms of the work getting dispersed. I'm wondering if you guys have got thoughts in terms of whether in a way we've kind of corralled art back into the gallery more than <laughs> at that time in terms of exposure to a wider audiences or... What do you think, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I don't want to talk too much, but I, I think um, yeah, I think we've gone a more conservative again because I remember at the time the reason why we are showing in Digitate and Live at Elam as venues is because most of the galleries show paintings and a little bit of sculpture. A lot more galleries are showing video work and things like that now. Yeah. But I still, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's kind of like there is a sort of energy of moving away from gallery spaces slowly happening again. I agree. I mean, I think actually the most vital, some of the more vital work you see is in the uh, the, the the kind of pop up galleries, you know, and um, the kind of short term occupations of spaces, you know, a little bit yeah. like what you do, Mark, with your 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 collective. Yeah, I mean, that, there's there's immense community 
and collective effort and energy in those things. And they, they have, you know, they're fairly short lived. So they're, people give them a lot of life. And I think we're bound, sadly, by uh, so much establishment um, conservatism in the arts now, you know, and, the, and also, also the um, the money scene. I mean, the, the the gallery, the commercial gallery scene is so fucking snobby for one thing. Um, mm. It's very hard to do things within that that are that are kind of groundbreaking because. There's a saturation, for example, of video in galleries anyway now. So it's, you know, it's, it's not interesting particularly to go and see video in galleries. You want to see it in a fresh way. You know, it's got to be sort of taken out of context or shown. People are hunting for ways to kind of show in fresh ways. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the challenge, isn't it? You know, particularly mm-hmm. in art schools, hell, you know, to kind of yeah, get yeah. people to think outside the square and not be um, constrained by this thinking of, thing of thinking they have to make it in the gallery scene. Mm. And I think, you know, things that are popping out or a response to the, the, the typical art institutions and dealerships is, um, model is um, we're more focused on community. Uh, projects. I mean, I am. I mean, mm. just just living in uh, Avondale, the faux faux area, and yeah, you know, we do a lot more there around um, more invested in the sort of more local activity. What's mm. happening? Mm. I think that's really good. Mm. Well, that was the thing about from scratch that I remember in the nineteen eighties. For the you got to the point where people really felt a sense of ownership of the group because you were talking about concerns around the Pacific and. Mm. Uh, nuclear testing, and uh, there was a sense of you were working often in community halls. You, you, you know, you were out, out there. You, you know, mm. uh, we're here at Tauru, and uh, which is very much a contemporary gallery, but surrounded by community. It's a different dynamic, but it was a very community-based yeah. enterprise, wasn't it? I mean, this is the beauty of this context now, the Tauru context, is because I mean, it is outside the square in terms of the the kind of conventions of the Auckland art scene. You know, it's like you know, you got Tatui, Tayuru, um, probably the. Oh, there are there are other suburban galleries, but I think these two are definitely have an identity that's kind of community related. That's um, very important to the local community. So there's something special about being being able to do something in this place too. You know, it's um, bringing bringing the from scratch thing into. You know, after how many years? Got eighteen, twenty years. <laughs> Come back, you know, kind of to reincarnate it into this context is pretty cool. Now, Sean, you had some involvement with From Scratch um, a, a while back too, didn't you? Oh yeah. I, I mean, my involvement was lights. Some people think I played in that, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, wow, you did yeah. play. <laughs> <laughs> I played with the lights. Yeah, yeah. And I did. I did some video work for you, I think. But the yeah. main. The, the main thing was touring down the south, which was a really cool experience doing the lighting in those sort of um, amazing old theatres and going on to Stewart Island. And I always remember that guy measuring up your pipes and you're playing <laughs> the, the, the power harp. You remember? Yes, him? yes, yeah. 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 You know, it's just meeting locals in the, the different communities. It was an incredible experience. We were we arrived at the community hall in on Stewart Island, and the woman who was the coordinator had actually forgotten we were coming and had forgotten to let people. <laughs> so I think three or four people kind of suddenly were rung around. You know, there's kind of like five people turned up and. <laughs> 
it was very informal, but hell, we had a good time there. It was great. Great fishing trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was an incredible experience. And, you know, I, I think I burnt out the uh, fuse box on Stewart Island, I think, with right. the lights. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, so it was pretty cool being able to invite Sean to come on tour as our lighting guy, you know, because he was so kind of au fait in a way with what we were up to and with our lighting requirements so it was yeah it was a successful successful yeah. mix it was good well phil you you were talking to before about that sense of well, maybe sean as well about the working together aspect of working into media and of course mm. one of the distinctive things around from scratch and it reminds me of the the amount of collective activity that's starting to again happen in the arts sphere mm. is um that you were, there were these kind of egalitarian principles as well. So quite clearly you're the founder and you drive it. There's a very much kind of a collective approach. Mm. Uh, is, is that, how, how does that manifest itself? Um, I, uh, well, mostly I guess in, well, if you take an example, for example, you know, of this opportunity to do this project came, the current project came about as a, unexpected invite from Auckland Festival from the new director Jonathan Bielski oh wonderful yeah so it was completely unexpected but he came out to visit Tauru to look at the something they'd contributed to the last festival talk to Andrew you know what's your plot for the next uh, fest, you know festival time you got anything interesting and Andrew having kind of already done some work on the from scratch archive stuff you know and uh, having that in his mm. mind for a show just suggested it and he immediately picked it up so the point i'm trying to make now is that i i then went to the guys that i last performed with and that was like 18 years ago um or 20 years ago you think of darren i mean we have we do get together we've remained friends and kind of you know do event things together but the sense of collegial um uh enthusiasm and responsibility to make something happen just gelled immediately i mean it just you know if it hadn't i wouldn't have done it right so you're not just hiring everyone and there has to be that energy no that that energy was you know that like collective energy to say yeah let's do it you know we'll do it together it's um so they've been incredibly supportive so like from the beginning of this you know i had to get out all the old instruments you know stuff i've had in storage for about 30 years some of it the uh, PVC pipes haven't been out since the mid-80s. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, but they've been in storage, so they're good in, in good nick, but everything needed to be cleaned and kind of, you know, put together. And those guys just kind of all just jumped in and helped. So it was really, to me, was an expression of that, of that collective support and enthusiasm and sense of responsibility to make something happen, you know. But are you ultimately still, yeah. still here? Are you ultimately the composer or the director? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you open things out. You've got a whole lot of other yeah. performers coming in and doing yeah. things as I well. I mean, what I try and do is is deflect a lot of that stuff because it's to me, it's yes, yeah, I am there, kind of constantly, you know, catalyzing things and composing stuff or whatever. But um, the important thing for me to, is that the, you know, the group kind of works together and makes it happen as a, as a body, and it can go forward. Because, I mean, I'm going to pull out at this point after this. You know, I mean, if this particular project now has another opportunity to perform, I might be in it. But uh, in terms of ongoing performance, 
I mean, I've kind of had my day really at that, but I'm happy to be <laughs> in the background. And these guys are happy to continue it. So well, yeah. the contemporary pilots is that kind of like open sourcing it. Yeah, and then the <laughs> other thing is, then when I get when I drop out, you know, and I'm not kind of the central catalyst, you know, what's going to happen? It's going to be interesting, you know. Is the group that's going to be a test, you know, for the collective strength of it, really? Too. So if the work carries on, Phil, what would be the founding principle, the core principle that needs to carry on with it? Well. I mean, there's a couple of things. One is definitely the egalitarian concept, you know, that's kind of, that came originally from Cardew, from the from Scratch Cornelius Orchestra. Cardew in, in, in yeah, London? in London, when I was mm. part of the Scratch Orchestra in London. Um, Scratch Orchestra was founded on, a, on the basis of an open, an open kind of workshop principle where anybody was in, who was interested and enthusiastic could contribute to the guiding concepts. So he, he put forward guiding concepts in the same way I think that, you know, I probably have for this current, you know, for the various incarnations of From Scratch, which kind of kept it moving along. And probably my, my inputs would have been the continuation of the egalitarian principle, um, where you basically, anyone who joins the group has to learn to be able to do anything within it that's required. So that we can exchange roles, you know, so that there's no sense of one soloist or a leader always kind of, you know, at the forefront. Um, but everybody's kind of equal. And that's a kind of a, a visible aspect to the physical presentation and performance of, of the group when they're in performance. It feels like everybody's kind of equal and doing the same kind of tasks, you know, we can do any one person can do any of the tasks. Mm. So that's, that's kind of one. The other is the, the, rhythmic, the rhythmic language that's been evolved is pretty specific and rather sophisticated now in terms of the Hocketing language. Well, whether you want to can complicate that much further, I don't know. <laughs> it seems to me we've just about ended, ended the road on that. Right. And that was one of the reasons why I folded the group in 2002, or didn't exactly fold it, but we went into hiatus a kind of a informal folding, you know. I said, okay, let's just let it rest at this point because we're starting to get into repetition of the same ideas. And that's not necessarily bad, but it needs fresh, a fresh perception of how maybe those things can be moved forward. So it needed a long time to kind of just let that happen. Well, quite frankly, I went off on a more solo path and, you know, kind of more gallery practice and uh, more solo kind of interactions collaboratively with other people and things. And I've done no more composition for the group as such in that area. And uh, whether I would I, now, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about it because suddenly now I've got all this stuff and new instruments I've built and all the, you know, people have helped me build as well. Um, there's a lot of new potential so it could definitely go into new territory. And uh, that's, yeah, that's quite exciting. You know, that's, that's a potential. And in a way, instruments have always, the discovery of sound has always been a prompt for my compositional process anyway. You know, the magic of finding a new sound and how do you incorporate it and what do you, how do you compose for it? I mean, that's been the challenge and that's been in a way, the catalyst for a lot of stuff. Okay, Phil, you've got, you're representing work here, it's the work coming out of the attic, as it were. What does it mean to you to bring those instruments and kind of give them new life? Um, it's, uh, t to me, it's a bit of a celebration of 
as an opportunity to reconfigure some early work, like the drum wheel work. It's kind of presented in a fr very fresh way, um, and it it really really kind of uh, celebrates those early pipe instruments as well. Plus, you know, we've written a, a new piece called Pow Wow, which is just for open pipes. Um, it was originally, it's, it's a re slight rework actually of a work that was originally made for the wearable arts when we did a, a live thing with them, but it's um, much improved I think now. Um, but just hearing those pipes in that gallery space is, is, is really pretty cool because it's such a sonorous and uh, resonant space. They really sound great in there. Um, mm. The other thing that it's done is it stimulated the idea to have because I had this I had this um, residency last year in California where I was able to completely modify a large wooden studio and just turn it into an instrument of sorts and um, I thought oh, it would be great to do something a little similar here and just call it a sonic play space that the public could interact with so that was a catalyst for making up a whole lot of new instruments. I thought, okay, well, you've really got to have something very different in it. So I made up the, you know, like the a big five pairs of fipple whistles and a, a version of the Robert Ruttman uh, stainless steel cello, which we just called the Ruttman. It's like a tribute instrument, Ruttman cello. Um, a replica of the nun drum, but in a quite fresh way. Uh, a new, a new giant sprong. And uh, the wall wires, um, mm. the wall rods. So there's, and then the the tone thrones. I, I built my first tone throne in California, which was a rocker I just found out in the grounds of Headlands. Actually, it was an old broken down rocker, and I glued it all back together and thought, okay, this is going to make a great instrument. And used the rocker to activate things in the space. And so I just threw out the challenge to the other guys in the group so did anyone else want to make a a rocker or a tone throne so i built one here for a show at audio foundation james turned up with one that completely unknown to me um is a giant he built it from scratch actually the whole rocker and it's a, a giant bagpipe so when you <laughs> when you're rocking it 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 activates the bellows and a whole set of membrane drones Thank and you, James I, it was just such a coincidence that I'd been building all these fipple whistles, you know, and Dan Beban and now Thomas, who were doing one of the collaborations with us, they'd built these instruments which use the membrane drone also, that you you know, as a, as a horn. So it was just serendipitous, you know. So these things mm. spark off wonderful things. Yeah, it's great. So nice. the future for me is, yeah, the cont continuation of invention with the instruments and where that might go, you know. They're still analog. <laughs> Sean, your your work um, has uh, worked with sound quite a lot, and of course across media and different materials and exploring them. I mean, your practices seem quite different, but I'm really interested in maybe what the inspiration of of all this work was for you on on, on your work. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one one thing is the DIY um, using found objects. From the everyday, you know, from PV, you know, I mean, how Phil uses PPC pipes to, at a certain length, will create a certain sound. Mm. And uh, I kind of like that sort of, you know, you talked about inventiveness. Um, I guess that sort of whole Kiwi 
sorry, um, sort of New Zealander sort of um, thing of the number eight wire, sort of trying to fit things together and using maybe unusual materials to make them fit together or connect together to create a certain or some sort of meaning from that. And um, and I still do that today. I mean, uh, I like using found objects and sort of animating them and with physical sort of movement, um, but connecting them through sort of maybe more un unorthodox ways, like using microcontrollers to trigger off motors to you know to create a sort of um, slapstick sort of prank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's sort of, it's quite fun. And, and the other nice thing, connection there, uh, just in the collective and the, you, you mentioned the word social, social, I mean, um, open source. Uh, I'm very much in, engaged with open source technology now of my practice because I like the, the community around that. So you share your ideas and what you've done and someone else can use that to build on and make something else. Um, rather than hiding it as a sort of secret, or oh, I've done it this way, or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's, a, that's another thing that's, that's really nice sort of crossover there, I think. And then just with the sound thing, because my, my background originally was um, in sound post-production before I went to, to Elam. And, I, you know, I did a lot of Foley work, and so... I kind of sort of reference that all the way through my work, really. I always think of making, you know, when I make an object move or something, it's, it is about the spot spot effect or the what sort of sound it makes or how you activate an object through sound. Um, that, that's quite a common thing for me now. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting, uh, Sean, you're talking about this kind of digital open source environment in terms of kind of collectivity. Um, Phil, this, you, you've never been part of that digital revolution, feels like. It's, it's no, kind no, of I, I, physical. I had to teach material. myself, you know, um, the, the crossover from analog to, you know, like using a computer, learning to type. <laughs> that was one of the best skills I taught myself over one summer was how to type, you know, and it just suddenly opened up the possibilities of computer to me. Um, but it's never really, I don't like spending a lot of time in front of the screen, so I, I learned it mostly to video edit and audio edit, you know. So I've used it mainly for that, that kind of digital end, not for, not. For, I mean, I did a couple of workshops on, you know, the kind of, um, sorry, what's the what's the common one that everyone's using now? Max MSP. Max MSP. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's <laughs> learning Max MSP and using how to manipulate stuff, you know. Yeah, with yeah. It. I mean, I did a couple of workshops and it was, you know, it's quite a big thing to take on board. So I never really got yeah, to grips huge. with it really. So, um, But I collaborated with James Charlton, you know, who's yes. an expert at it. Yes, so, you know, he, we did, he helped me with some project stuff for the Body Talk project, for example. And we're talking about doing something else. So, I mean, it's wonderful to be able to work with people who you can just say, hey, let's try this, and you can go and do it mm. <laughs> and mm. be very creative about it. It's great. But you've got a show at the moment, Phil, uh, at Trish Clark Gallery, um, speaking here in March in, yep. in, in Auckland, and, and you've got your sort of time-based work there, which some of it's been, I think, like 12 years or so, yeah. video works that you do on a kind of a, 
a regular, almost daily basis or so forth? Oh, the April music piece. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and the durational aspect and and how you use video. Sure. Well, actually, April music was the first time I've used video in that context. Um, That series started as more as a, a visual music concept series and I decided okay I'll give make a um, I'll record or produce a work once a day through each month of the year but consecutive years you know so I did January music which was a whole sequence of uh, wind activated uh, notational drawings and then February music was uh, was a whole series of graphite drawings on black and each one kind of representing uh, response to the day and whatever. March was painted graphics, but with uh, using burning techniques and things to kind of change the surface. So I really wanted to do physical things that, you know, kind of have a process-oriented aspect to them um, and give myself 12 years. So that each year, without even really trying to plot it, I just wait until the month comes up and then I decide what I'm going to do. So last year, I decided I'd... I just shoot video. I shoot it in my backyard again, but do dawns and dusks and make it 360s and uh, record the mangrove environment from different, all different areas around the North Shore. Yes, because you're in Beach Haven there. I'm lots, in of, Beach lots, Haven. Of mangroves yeah, lots of mangroves. Yeah, lots of mangroves. So, I, you know, I get up really early morning and go out with my camera, but I decided I'd shoot the whole thing on an iPhone just with a gimbal, you know, with a quite nice, steadying, little steady shot thing, you know. So that was that was nice to be able to do the whole thing on my on my iPhone six and just shoot it, you know, with a nice bit of software, and um, getting a really great result from it was a bit difficult. But anyhow, <laughs> I ended up just actually making it. Just H two six four was kind of better. I tried mm. tried various things, you know, but you can't really pump up inferior HD. It's just, you know, it's what it is. So I decided just to go with it. And it actually got a really nice visceral, physical feel and lots of spinning, mm. spinning landscapes and things, yeah. Upside down, right side up. Does that connect for you, Sean, or, or was it inspirational that, I mean, Phil's very disciplined in a way, very regular <laughs> in yeah. terms of a practice. <laughs> Has that That's kind good. of manifested itself for you at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm quite regular too. <laughs> no, no. We've got to be regular. No, I, yeah, I I I really admired Phil's um, your your dedication to art practice and teaching as well. So um, yeah, I'm I'm very yeah I'm quite disciplined in a way. I have to be. Um, got to pick yourself up each day and try new things out and I mean this is the great thing I guess it sort of spins off from teaching is that you're always learning there's so much to take in every day uh, especially programming and making things in the digital environment is quite tricky and it takes a long time to get something that's kind of decent um, but yeah that, that uh, perseverance as well working through problems Right. It's something I've learned as well. Problem solving. Mm. Well, and not, problem mm. finding. And problem <laughs> well, fighting. Yeah, well, yeah. one of the things that I, I found interesting about your work, uh, and it reminds me of a few Len Lai sculptures of late, is that sense of things failing. And I, I, I read something online that you, were, you wrote about that, that you, your kind of glee in your work's failing, a sort of a failure, which seemed a little bit different to where Phil's at. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think we learn a lot from when things don't work. And I think that's a teaching aspect of my practice, I guess. And, you know, and that's why I like going to this, this STEM school out in Spokane. Because, you know, they, I asked them about well, what happens if students fail at something. They said, oh, no, we really embrace it. And I thought, great. Mm. That's the best way to think. I mean, yeah, you know, it sort of kind of takes the weight off you and it means that you can be more experimental and risky, I guess, and try things out that, you know, might work and might not work. And, and that's why I like showing in sort of project spaces and artist-run spaces and things like that because they encourage that that sort of thing. Um, you know, maybe it's a little bit more edgy uh, conceptually. Maybe it's a little bit more uh, risky and maybe health and safety issues. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, big institutions wouldn't let you drop a bucket from the roof, you know, to make all the lights turn out. You know, it's just... <laughs> no. It's impossible to do, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can do that in a project space um, yeah. as well as making it safe, but it's much more flexibility and I just like that freedom, really. Mm. What about you, Phil? Do you do you need room to fail? Is there such a thing Absolutely. as failure or is, or is yeah, everything yeah. a performance? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we fail a lot during performance. And, and, you know, the art always is in salvaging so mm. you know there's a practice i mean there's, it's very common art practice now i think to celebrate failure and to kind of put it out there because it's also embraces the community you know people think okay you know it's okay to fail and we can try this to you know do stuff creatively it doesn't matter whether you're in a bloody gallery or not as long as you're just kind of making stuff you know so I have heaps of failures. I've never really put much of my failure out in the public, except when we perform and um, things crap out. You know, you just got to salvage it on the spot. So there's a lot mm. of that. <laughs> yeah. Sean Kerfield yeah, Edson. Cool. <laughs> Sean Kerfield Edson, thank you for joining us. Hey, um, thank you. Not too many Thanks failures. Uh, we're looking forward <laughs> to performances in the exhibition here. Five, four, six. 546 moons, which I, that'll be the number of moons since you began that's from that, That's the exhibition title, yep. And the performance title is Heart Heart. Yeah. Fantastic. It's great to have it as part of the Auckland Festival. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no, you. great. Thank hey, you. lovely to talk to you, Sean. Oh, yeah, nice to talk to you all too. <laughs> it's been wonderful. On the other side of the world. It's, yeah. been, it's been really, really rewarding. So thank you to you both. Kia ora. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of CircuitCast was brought to you with the assistance of Creative New Zealand. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any of your favourite podcatchers. For more, go to circuit.org.nz.